Father, we just want to thank you that you even allow us into your presence. You're mighty. You're almighty. And yet you're merciful. And you're gracious. And you're inclusive. And you will receive us into your presence. In fact, you told us in your word, hey, because of my son Jesus Christ, you can walk boldly before the throne of grace. Father, we just sit there right now before your throne. We know you are in heaven encircled by the angels. As they cry, holy, 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 the whole earth is full of your glory, and we are the ones to reflect that glory in the earth. Thank you for your work. Thank you for your love. Thank you that we get to enter into your presence now. And I thank you for your word, Father. And I thank you that we get to open it today and that we get to learn how we can adjust the things that we need to change and and move in in order to reflect your glory in a greater way on this earth. We are your church. We're the hope of the world. Thank you for calling our names and thank you for allowing us into your presence and now fill us with your spirit. I pray in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat and uh, get out your Bibles because we're getting ready to hear uh, from God's word. I want to... I want to just say that I'm grateful for a couple of, I'm grateful for a lot of things, but two things in particular as we, as I set up our speaker today. I'm thankful that you are a church that allows um, us to have multiple voices in here. I think it's a really healthy thing because God has gifted many men to be able to bring the word um, to us, and I love to sit underneath good preaching. And I'm thankful that I get to actually to get to sit and learn under some really great men of God. And so I'm grateful that you're tolerant of that and you allow that um, to happen in this church and that you're excited actually about that. But I'm also thankful for men like Steve Etner, who's a good friend of mine, Steve and Heather and their whole family. We just heard their daughter um, sing Holy, Holy, Holy and lead us right to the throne of grace. Been here for a long time um, in this church. And God has uniquely gifted Steve and um, uh, through a whole series of things in their lives to have the ministry that he has right now. About 15 years ago, God gave Steve the the platform into, into the lives of men. He has a heart for men who are struggling with all kinds of addictions, but particularly in purity. And so Steve has been in a, in a heavy full-time counseling ministry, and Steve actually counsels many pastors um, all across the country and around the world with um, sexual um, addiction and purity issues. And um, I'm grateful that God has given him a very unique and very hard ministry. And um, 10 years ago, he started an official full-time ministry called Pure Man Ministries, And now Steve is um, heavy into counseling, but also speaking all over the nation in men's events. And I'm just grateful that we get him here. I'm grateful that he um, has a ministry platform here. 
And I have never sat underneath you, Steve, where God has not pierced my heart and convicted me um, from the word and the Holy Spirit has worked. And so I, I'm anticipating getting slammed today, too. And uh, so come on, give, us a, a, give him a warm welcome as he comes to the platform. Wow. <laughs> Thank you, Phil. Um, folks, we are here this morning to open up this book. We're here this morning to study the Word of God because it's living, it's powerful, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. Every time you open it and read it, study it, memorize it, meditate on it, listen to it, it dis discerns the thoughts and the intents of your heart. We're here this morning to study the Word of God because it's profitable. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, so that the men and women of God can be thoroughly furnished, totally equipped to be the men and women that God has called us to be. We are here this morning to study the Word of God because I believe with all my heart that the God of the Word has something powerful to share with us. So you ready to hear from him this morning? Well, I don't know about you, but I need to talk with him for just a moment. So would you join with me as we go before the throne? Father, truly you are holy, holy, holy. And it should be with trembling hearts that we come before you, recognizing the fact of your holiness and our sinfulness. And how desperately we need you this morning, we need you to guide us and lead us as we open your word, as we study. I want to hear from you. I don't want to hear from, from a man standing behind the pulpit. I want to hear from you. I want the Holy Spirit to move mightily in our midst. So, Father, I surrender myself completely to you. And I ask in the name of Jesus Christ that you would fill me and fill this congregation with your Holy Spirit to the overflowing. So that when we walk out of these doors a few moments from now, we'll walk out of here better than when we came because of the time we've invested with you. So thank you for what you're doing and what you're going to do, Father. We give you the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to think with me for just a moment about the craziness, the, the chaos, the confusion that's happening in the world around us today. I want you to think with me about the tax that's happening on Christianity even as we speak. I want you to think with me about the rapidly unfolding world events that are drawing all of us into a critical moment in history, namely that of the rise of the Antichrist and the rapture of the church. That's around the corner, you know, sooner than we may expect. And as we think about those things, it occurs to me that no matter who you are, no matter your age, your race, your culture, your background, your family, your gender, your marital status, your career, your education, no matter who you are, if you are a child of God, if you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, it's getting harder and harder and harder to be a Christian, God's saint in this world today. Would you agree with that? And it's not going to get any easier. Not only because our culture and our country are in trouble, but the reality is our own homes are in trouble. Our marriages are under attack. Our families are under assault. 
Our financial stability is in danger. Our freedom of worship is being threatened. Every part of our lives is being shaken to the core. And I submit that if we, the church of Jesus Christ, allow these things to absorb our attention, if we let them divert our focus, if, if we succumb to the temptation to worry about, to think about, to become obsessed with all the craziness and the, the, the t- physical, tangible, touchable issues that are surrounding us today, and, and if we allow those things to turn our attention, to fuel our frustration, to displace our focus and our anger upon those physical, t- touchable, tangible things, and if we forget that we have an enemy that's just underneath the surface of all these things, and then as the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work in the world around us, if we forget that our enemy has his hand in all of these things, then I submit that we will end up wasting our time and we will waste all of our energy offering up the wrong solution at the wrong time in the wrong place for the wrong problems. Can I get a witness? It's to this end that the Apostle Paul writes the sixth chapter of the book of Ephesians. So would you turn there with me, please, to Ephesians chapter 6. You know, a lot of Bible scholars say that the, uh, the book of Ephesians is the opus of all of Paul's epistles. In other words, it's the, it's the highlight of everything that Paul wrote. If you're familiar with the scriptures at all, then you, you know that the uh, Apostle Paul is a major contributor to the bulk of the New Testament. He wrote letter after letter after letter to the churches with the hopes that God's people would not just read the letters, but that, they would be, that, that, that their lives would be changed, that they would be transformed through a growing knowledge and relationship with Jesus Christ. Bible scholars say that of all the books that the Apostle Paul wrote, of all the, all the great and wonderful truths that he taught us, the book of Ephesians is kind of like the cherry on top of the hot fudge sundae. You see, the Apostle Paul spends a major chunk of the book of Ephesians rehearsing with us who we are in Christ. He shares with us that, that uh, you, you've been adopted into the family of God. You're not rejected, you're blessed. You have a purpose. You're predestined. You're redeemed. He's lavished his incomparable love upon you. You're chosen. You're his workmanship. You're fellow citizens with God's people. And that's just scratching the surface. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18, the apostle Paul says that he's praying that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches, the greatness, the splendor, the depths, of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And so Paul invests a big chunk of the book of Ephesians just telling us who we are in Christ. And then we get to the end of the book and we see these final words beginning in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. In verse 11, he says, you and I are to put on the full armor of God. So we may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Why is that so important? Verse verse 12, our struggle's not against flesh and blood. Our struggle's against the rulers, against the powers, uh, against the, the world forces of darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. We're fighting against a very powerful spiritual foe. Paul is saying, you better lay down all your earthly weapons because they cannot, they will not work against the spiritual evil that's happening all around us. But in the midst of all that, we saw over the last two weeks, Pastor Phil has shared with us, we have nothing to fear. We have absolutely nothing to fear. 
Instead, we need to choose, verse 13, to take up the whole armor of God so we may be able to stand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. So I want to submit that what we're seeing in this text is the Apostle Paul introducing the saints at Ephesus, introducing us to the concept of spiritual warfare. And here's what he's trying to tell us. He's saying, I want you to know, I want you to understand that the enemy you think you're up against, the one you think is the cause, the one you think is the source of your difficulties and challenges, the, the one that you believe is the reason for your angst and your anxiety and your anger and your worries and your fear, you think it's your spouse, you think it's the family member, you think it's the coworker, you think it's your employer, you think it's the work environment, you think it's, it's your vehicle payments, you think it's the house payments, it's, it's your financial struggle, it's, it must be my health issues, it certainly is the government, it's all the presidential mandates. Paul is saying, stop, stop, and realize and recognize that's not the problem. The problem is not flesh and blood. It's nothing you can see, touch, taste, feel, or smell. It's not the liberal left. It's not the government. It's not the cancel culture. It's not the work environment. It's not the family situation. It's nothing you can see. Folks, we need to understand that there is an invisible enemy, and he's the enemy of your soul. And that enemy of your soul is banking on the fact that you're going to forget that he even exists. Even now, he's disguising himself. He's hiding behind the physical, tangible aspects of life so that you and I end up focusing all of our attention on all of those things and we totally miss the real threat that's underneath it all. I believe he wants us to be distracted by the inconsequential. He wants us to forget who's actively influencing some of the most difficult circumstances and issues in life. And not just in our government, but in our own homes. And, it's, and the enemy's messing with us, not, not for the purpose of messing with you, not for the purpose of making your life miserable, not for the purpose of making you uncomfortable, but for the purpose of taking as many souls as he can with him into an eternity in hell. That's the real issue. And so the Apostle Paul is sounding the alarm. He's issuing for us a solemn warning and challenging every one of us to be aware, you have an enemy of your soul. He's very real. He's very powerful. And you better be on your guard at all times because he's counting on the fact that you're going to become so distracted, so preoccupied, so engrossed with the concerns of the day and your emotional response to those concerns that you forget that he's even there. Today, a little bit later on this afternoon, many of us, hopefully all of us, are going to be gathered outside for this thing that we call trunk or treat. And uh, we've been doing this, I don't even know how many years we've been, it's been quite a few years that we've been doing this. Um, I, I've had the honor and the privilege of being a life group leader for all five iterations or generations, so I don't know how many years of, of trunk or treats that's been, but uh, I gotta tell you something. In fact, for those of you who are life group leaders or co-leaders, coming up with an idea each year is easier said than done, isn't it? Wow. Um, for those of us who don't have a creative bone in our body, we really struggle. Um, I, I'm so thankful for my life group. They, they, they came up with some really good ideas, and I'm excited about what we're going to execute uh, this afternoon. Um, but uh, while, before we came up with uh, our idea, I decided to do some research on my own, and I went to the number one global authority of all things trunk or treat. I'm talking about Sir Google, of course. 
And, and I, I found this one idea. It's actually pretty cool. We're not going to do it this year. Um, I'll sell you the rights to it if you want to do it. But um, let, me, let me describe it for you. It, it's pretty neat. You, you pull a pickup truck in, and you, you park it so that the bed of the truck is facing the kids. You lower the gate. You set up a, a set of steps, and, and the child, one at a time, walks up onto the bed of the truck and turns sideways because extending off the side of the truck is this sheet of plywood, and there's six holes cut into the sheet of plywood, and there's this, this piece of heavy fabric that's draped around the, the sheet of plywood, kind of like a curtain, and uh, the child is handed this, this long plastic hammer with a, the, the accordion-style end of the head. When you hit it, it goes squeak, squeak, squeak. You know what I'm talking about? And when the adult in charge says go, suddenly these stuffed animals start popping up. And, and the child, it's a whack-a-mole, right? Everybody familiar with whack-a-mole? Well, I thought it was a pretty good idea. And then they had this video that was attached as a link to demonstrate, to give you a visual illustration of, of how this thing was to work. So it's pretty cool as you're watching this, this kid trying to, to whack the mole. Uh, but all of a sudden, this four-year-old comes shooting out from the corner of the screen. You can see a parent's hand grabbing thin air as the child vanishes too quickly. And, and, and the, the camera zooms in as this little child grabs a hold of that curtain and starts running away with the curtain. It goes, tink, 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 and the whole thing unfolds. And you see three adults on their knees with their puppets on their hands looking like deer caught in the headlights. <laughs> it, it, was, it was hilarious to see, but it also provides a very good illustration because here, here's my point. Watch this, folks. There's always something you cannot see influencing the things that you can see. There's always something that you cannot see controlling that which you can see. And if we spend all of our time, if we waste all of our energy trying to knock down the symptoms of the problem... If all we do is spend our time trying to deal with the things that are popping up in our marriage, in our job, in our health, in our finances, in our home, in our family, if, if we spend all of our time and spend all of our energy focusing all of our resources and all of our rationale and trying to figure out how to fix the immediate problem, we'll at best exhaust ourselves, we'll definitely frustrate ourselves, we'll most certainly confuse ourselves because we haven't begun to deal with the real problem. We haven't hit the root of what's causing all the issues. So in Ephesians chapter 6, I want to submit the Apostle Paul is saying, come on, people, pull back the curtain and tell the enemy we've got our eye on you. The issue is not my spouse. It's not my marriage. It's not my children. It's not the family. It's not my boss. It's not my coworker. It's not the work environment. It's not the government. We have an enemy, folks who is trying to stir up dissension and discontentment and division and destruction. He's thriving on stimulating discouragement and distress in your life because that's where he wants you to focus. And Paul's warning to us this morning, he's declaring be on your guard because the enemy is scheming against you. He is scheming. Everybody say scheming. scheming. You know, if I, if I find out that someone's done me wrong, more than likely, I'm going to be at least a little upset. I mean, who wouldn't be, right? But I also would like to believe that with the grace and the power of God and the Holy Spirit dwelling within me, I'm fairly certain that I could get over it and I could forgive. But if I find out that someone's been planning to do me wrong, that's a, that's a whole different story. If I find out that you've been scheming against me, that you're sitting there studying my tendencies 
and my patterns. You're watching my coming and my going. You're taking notes of my weaknesses and my temptations. You're scrutinizing my choices and my motivations, all for the purpose of pulling me off course and messing me up so I, I disappoint my Heavenly Father. And if I find out that you've not only been watching me, but you're intently scrutinizing my wife, I find out that you've been exploring and exploiting her weaknesses so that you can tempt her heart and her emotions. And I find out that you're trying to meddle with the lives of my kids and my grandkids. Also, that you can mess with their hearts and their minds and, and prevent them from growing in their walk with Christ. If I find out that you have been messing with my family, then you better believe a righteous, holy indignation is going to rise up inside of me. Because there ain't no way, no way, that I'm going to let the enemy run roughshod over my family. There's no way on God's green earth that I'm going to stand here and let my family fall apart at the seams because I don't think you exist, because you're not real. I'm not going to let you play me like a fool. No, what I'm going to do, I, I, I'd much rather, in fact, I invite the Church of Christ to join me in this because I'm going to stand as the gatekeeper of my home. I'm going to stand as the gatekeeper of my family. I'm going to stand as the gatekeeper of my church, and I'm going to shout out to the enemy, not on my watch. Because if it's a war you want, then it's a war you're going to get. But not by my own power, not by my might, but by that of the Holy Spirit and his power. Amen. You do realize, folks, that in Christ, we are the victors. Victory has already been won. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 15, it says, He disarmed the rulers and the authorities, and he put them to open shame by triumphing over them. Exodus 14, verse 14 says, The Lord will fight for you. You have only to be silent. 1 John chapter 4, verse 4 declares, You are from God, and you have overcome. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Can I get an amen? amen. That's why Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 commands us to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. So again, we need to understand, we need to understand the issue before us is not mask mandates, it's not vaccine mandates, it's not gender confusion, it's not cancel culture, it's not freedom of religion. Underneath it all, it's not about me. It's not about you. It's not about our rights or our privileges. The enemy is wanting us to believe that. He wants us to be distracted from the real issue. He wants us to be so focused on the here and now that we lose sight of the eternal. See, he doesn't want you to see the trouble that he's really up to underneath all of it. He, he's trying to deceive us. And so in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul is saying, hey, Christians, put down the plastic hammers. Put away the weapons that are futile and worthless. Stop trying to whack a mole and start worshiping the Messiah. Stop trying to hit the presenting problem. Stop trying to attack the symptoms. That approach will work for a little while. But you better be sure that when you knock one problem down, another one's going to pop up somewhere else. That's why in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul lists for us the armor that we're to take up against the enemy. Let's look at him. Verse 14, we're to stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth and put on the breastplate of righteousness. 
Verse 15 goes on to say, you better put on the shoes of readiness given by the gospel of peace. Verse 16, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. In verse 17, you need to protect your mind, and Paul calls it the helmet of salvation. You need to take up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And and interestingly enough, most people stop there and say, that's the end of the armor. I'm of the opinion that Paul keeps going. He says that even though those six things are important, even though you need to put on all six in your battle against the enemy, there's one more thing you need to do. You need to pray. You need to pray at all times, verse 18, in the spirit with all supplication. Folks, we need to pray. And you do understand that prayer is not manipulation. Prayer is is not going before God. God, God's not, listen, God is not a holy vending machine. And prayer is not the coin that you insert in order to get something from God. Prayer is a divinely ordained mechanism. It's something that God has given to us. Look at it this way. Prayer is the key that God has handed to you. It's the key that opens up the door to the throne room of heaven and allows you to come boldly before the the throne of your heavenly father and sit at his feet in communion with him. We need to pray more now than ever. Wish we had time to unpack all seven pieces of armor. But alas, we did. did I just say alas? <laughs> I don't know where that came from. But we, we, we don't have that time. But I do want to focus, because of what's going on in the world around us, I do want to take some time and focus on the first two pieces of armor that are listed. Look at verse 14. Paul begins by saying, Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Typically, when we read this particular text of Ephesians chapter 6, for most of us, if not all of us, we, we, we immediately go to a mental image of what we think a Roman soldier probably looked like back then. I mean, after all, during Paul's day, the Romans were everywhere. And, and the saints in Paul's day would have known, they would have understood in reading this list of spiritual armor, they would have associated it with the pieces of armor that a Roman soldier wore. But I want to help you understand something that those first century Christians probably understood that we are a little more hard-pressed to understand. You see, when a first century believer put their faith and trust in Christ, they, they trusted in the Messiah's work on the cross of Calvary, the only Bible they had was the Old Testament. And so when they received Paul's epistle, when they received his letter, first thing they would do is they'd go to the Bible, they'd go to the Old Testament, they'd start comparing Scripture with Scripture to look and make sure that those things that they heard were true. In Acts chapter 17, verse 11, it says that the saints in Berea were more noble than those in Thessalonica and that they received the Word of God with all readiness and they examined the Scriptures daily to see if the things that they were hearing were so. So they studied the Old Testament Jesus says in John chapter 5, verse 39, that the Holy Scriptures, the Old Testament, bears witness of the Christ. So here's my point. I think as soon as those Old Te- the New Testament believers, the first century Christians, read Paul's epistle, and they see this list of armor, sure, they went to, in their mind's eye, they went to the Roman soldier, but I think they also went to Isaiah chapter 59. Because you see, in Isaiah chapter 59, the, Isaiah talks about Jehovah, the one true God as being a divine warrior. In verse 17, he says of God, 
he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. Does that sound familiar? He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. In chapter 11, Isaiah, still speaking of, of God as the divine warrior, specifically says that God wears a belt of truth around his waist. Again, sound familiar? So Isaiah is painting a powerful picture of God as a divine warrior wearing divine armor. So I submit that when the, epistle, when the, the saints at Ephesus saw this epistle, they read this letter, and they're seeing the challenge of Paul to put on the full armor of God. Yes, they went to the Roman soldier, but I think they went even more so to the divine warrior. They recognized the fact that God himself wore the exact same armor that he's telling us to wear. That's why Paul says in verse 10, Take up, or that's why Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, take up the whole armor of God because it's the divine armor that will enable you to stand firm against the schemes of the enemy. Now, now here's why this is so important. Here, I, I love how Pastor Phil will sometimes say, hey, I've got some good news for you. Want to hear some good news? I've got some good news. You want to hear some good news? Here's the good news. Sorry, Phil, I had to borrow that. It's because the reason that this divine armor is so important is because what we have as we go on to the battlefield, what we have as we go to war against the enemy of our soul, watch this now, it's not some second-hand, second-rate, hand-me-down piece of armor that may or may not work. If it worked for the God of the Old Testament, the divine warrior of the Old Testament, it'll work for you and I in the New Testament. It's the same armor. So Paul is saying in verse 14, stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth. It's interesting to me of all the seven things that, that we're need, we need to take up in our spiritual armor, the very first thing we need. If we're going to effectively stand against the schemes of the enemy is the truth. The whole truth and nothing but the absolute truth of our great and awesome God. The very first thing in Paul's list is the truth. Now, in Paul's day, when you saw a Roman soldier coming towards you, you would feel very intimidated. It was designed that way. Probably one of the first things you would see is that, that bristled plume like a mohawk running across the top of his helmet. You would definitely see the breastplate. That was intimidating. His massive shield, that would be intimidating. The sword hanging on his hip, that's definitely intimidating. You, you would notice very prominent pieces of armor. And yet when the Apostle Paul begins his list, instead of, as he's trying to figure out what piece to start with, because, you know, the order is important, Paul doesn't start with the most visible piece of armor. He doesn't go with the most intimidating piece of armor. He goes with the most important piece of armor, the very first thing that any Roman soldier would put on. And if anybody knew what Roman soldiers wore, it would be the Apostle Paul. Because he was exposed to Roman soldiers every single day while he was under house arrest. And the soldier, as he would get ready for the day, would always put on the belt first. You see, the belt was the central hanging piece. It, it, without the belt, all the other pieces of armor would fall off. So Paul is saying, if you want to be successful in your stance against the schemes of the enemy, you must first and foremost daily make the decision to be a person that is committed wholly and completely to the truth of God found within the word of God. This is our belt, folks. This is what we need to be girding ourselves with. Uh, I want to interject something here. It's going to seem like I'm rabbit trailing. I'm really not. 
But I love First Baptist Church. I, I, I truly do. Um, I, I, some of you know I grew up in this church. Since seven years old, I have been associated in some way, shape, or form with First Baptist Church of Elkhart. So, so I've been a part of this, this family for over 50 years. Heather and I have had the honor and the privilege of being members of this church for over 25 years. I love, I love coming here on Sundays. I love fellowshipping with you. I love going out in the, in the commons and mingling and talking and shaking hands and giving hugs. And I, I love standing in here and, and lifting my voice in song and my arms in praise with all of you as we worship. But you know what I love the most? Uh, what I love the most is the, uh, I know for a fact that any and every time I walk into this room, I can be 100% guaranteed that whoever's standing up behind this pulpit is going to lift this book high, is going to teach and preach the word of God. I love that. But you listen, folks, just because you're in church each week does not mean that you're standing against the enemy fully girded in truth. Just because you're reading your Bible every day, just because you have a few verses memorized, does not mean you're consciously, willingly, fully, and totally pledging your total and complete allegiance to the almighty power of the word of God and from the, the, uh, the spirit of God in your heart. We need to daily choose. We need to daily decide. We need to daily declare. We need to daily commit. Just like Joshua chapter 24, verse 15, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Not future tense, present tense. I am serving him. I am serving him. We are serving him. We will continue to serve him. It's a choice. It's a choice we must make on a daily basis. Why? Because the tide of our culture is changing. And as that tide is changing, as the philosophies and the new ideas are, are permeating our world, as, as everything you know and everything that you believe in is being challenged and is being threatened, as our government is trying to legislate new ways of thinking and new ways of living, we, ladies and gentlemen, you and I, First Baptist Church, we must not be a group of people that just casually get together every Sunday morning so we can sing and study the Word of God and walk out and be happily, go out merrily on our way. We must not, because it's convenient, because it's easy, because everybody's doing it, because listen, folks, we don't know when we're, we, we can't be guaranteed how much longer our freedom is going to last. Don't take it for granted. I challenge you, we need to be Christians, we need to be believers who when we walk out of these doors just a few minutes from now, we need to walk out of these doors committed to the fact that if I'm the only one, if I'm standing completely alone, no one else stands with me, I will unconditionally, unapologetically pledge my full and complete allegiance to the absolute truth of our great and awesome God. We must never let our race, our ethnicity, our political persuasion, our nationality, not even our religion, not let any of those things define us. Never should those things dictate or determine our direction, especially if it conflicts with the word of God. Can I make a brief political statement for just a moment? Don't, don't hit panic buttons. I'm, I'm not about to endorse a particular party because it's not about politics. But I want to make a political statement, and here's my statement. God is not here, listen to me now, God is not here to ride on the backs of elephants or donkeys. He didn't come to take sides. He came to take over. And the reason 
that the belt of truth is so important is because the major calling card of our enemy is deception. In John chapter 8, verse 44, Jesus said, Satan is a liar. He's the father of lies. He is a master deceiver. And you know the, tr the tricky thing about deception is if you're being deceived, you don't know you're being deceived. You, you could be standing on the edge of a cliff. You, you could be positioned on the precipice about to fall off and not even know it. Everybody around you sees it. They, everybody around you knows it. Those who love you and know you the best are shouting out to you, beware, be cautious, you're, you're going the wrong way. And you think the problem's with them. You just want them to leave you alone. I'm, I'm fine, I'm doing okay. But those around you know that if you take one more step in the direction you're heading, you're, you're about to step into a world of hurt. But because you're the one being deceived, you can't tell. I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. Because if you look in your past, you can see times in your own life where you've been deceived. And so since you're blinded to your deception, since you can't tell that you're being deceived, watch this now. It is vital, folks. It is absolutely essential. It is necessary that you have an absolute standard of truth that is outside of yourself, that, that you can look to to determine whether or not you're being taken for a ride. Anybody ever seen the movie Inception? Anybody willing to admit that they've seen the movie Inception? I've never seen it. Um, so please do not take me as endorsing it or recommending it, but it, it's going to create a good illustration, all right? Because I've been told it's, it's a great movie. Um, I, I've been told it's very complicated, but uh, it's a good movie. Here's, here's why I want to even bring it up. Actor Leonardo DiCaprio plays the role of a, of a man who's living in the real world, and he falls asleep. And as he's asleep, he's in this dream world, and the dream world seems so real, so tangible, that he's not aware he's dreaming. It, 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 he thinks he's in the real world. So the choices that he makes, the decisions that he makes while he's in that dream world get him into trouble in the real world. And, and if that's not complicated enough, sometimes when he's asleep and in his dream world, he falls asleep again. So he's two layers deep in his dreams. But even in that second layer, it seems so real, it's so tangible that he's not aware he's in a dream world. So the choices and the decisions that he makes have different ramifications in the real world. And if that's not complicated enough, sometimes when he's two layers deep, the dude has enough gumption to dream a third time. And so in, in that third layer of dreams, it still seems so real and so tangible that he's not aware that he's in a dream world. He's in a dream within a dream within a dream within reality. So somewhere in the, in the movie, and if I'm messing it up, forgive me. Like I said, I haven't seen it. But, but somewhere in the movie, he wises up and he realizes he needs a spinning top. So everywhere he goes, he finds a flat surface, and he takes this spinning top and he starts to spin it. And he steps back and he watches that top. And if it spins and spins and spins and spins, it never slows down, never what he knows he's in a dream. But if he spins that top and as he watches it, it slows down and begins to wobble and finally falls over, gravity's taken over and he knows he's home. Here's why I want to share this with you. What's significant to me about my understanding of this movie is this, this man in the movie has learned not to lean onto his own understanding. He's no longer trusting his own perception. He has stopped believing what his eyes and his ears are trying to tell him. 
and he realizes for his own safety, for his own protection, he better have an objective standard that is outside of himself, something he can look to as the determining factor to know whether or not he's being played for the fool. Ladies and gentlemen, the point I've been trying to make in this message is simply this, that the enemy of your soul wants you to trust in your feelings. He wants you to lean on your own understanding. He doesn't want you to be a believer who's following the objective standard of God's absolute truth and nothing but the truth. In Second um, Chronicles chapter 15, Israel is in great turmoil. There's murder, deception, lies, immorality, greed. In short, it's a horrendous, ungodly culture. Sound familiar at all? Doesn't that kind of sound like America today? In verse 3 of 2 Chronicles 15, we are told why. It says, for a long time, Israel was without the true God, without a teaching priest, and without the law. Uh, Here's what I want you to catch. There were no teaching priests. There were priests, but there were no teaching priests. In other words, the spiritual leaders of that day were not speaking truth. They were not teaching from the word of God. Allow me to appear to rabbit trail again. Because ladies and gentlemen, we have so much to be grateful here at First Baptist. We have so much to be grateful for. And here's why I say that. We have a pastor who does not stand up here behind this pulpit and share with us his personal opinions. He does not share with us his personal prejudices. He does not get up here and share with us a a social gospel. You can be guaranteed that every time Pastor Phil stands up behind this pulpit, you're gonna hear from this book. You're gonna hear the truth and nothing but the truth. So help us, God. And, and, and I've learned over the years, sitting under my pastor's teaching, that when I'm sitting in that pew, and by the way, that is my pew, just so you're aware, don't, don't infringe. We'll have a knockdown drag out, but, but when, I'm joking. When I sit down and I open up my Bible, and I know that Phil's gonna declare to me the truth, I'm now sitting there saying, what's my responsibility? I know what his is, and he's executing it. What's mine? Because my responsibility is not just to hear the truth, but to apply the truth. What am I going to do with what's being shared with me? For the last two weeks, we've heard about fear. That should hit every one of us somewhere in the core of our being. What are you doing about it? What are you doing with it? So I submit that in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul is saying, Christian brother, Christian sister, pick up your Bible. Read your Bible, yes, But be sure that you're girding yourself with the scriptures, wrapping God's absolute truth around you like a belt. I want to take the last few minutes, and I want to draw your attention to another piece of armor. So back in our text of Ephesians chapter 6, Paul is saying, after you've wrapped yourself with a belt of truth, put on the breastplate of righteousness. (laughs) Many, many years ago, when I was uh, in my early teens, my father would take me fishing. I loved going fishing with my dad. <laughs> those, those are some really good memories. One of, the, one of the memories I have is of dad and I going up to a lake up in Michigan. One of the members of our church had a cottage or a cabin or something there. They had a rowboat, and they told us that we could use the boat and just go out and fish. So we arrived, and we hopped in the boat, and we rowed offshore, and we dropped anchor, and we just sat there all day long, fishing, catch and release, catch and release, and just enjoying some father-son time. 
But you see, before we could use that boat, we had to turn it over. See, it was sitting on the bank upside down. Now, now here's the problem with that little task. Because of the environment that had been created, because, because of the atmosphere that had been festering underneath that upside-down boat, it was dark, it was cool, it was moist, it was damp. When we turned that boat over, you know what happened? All kinds of slimy, creepy crawlers hopped, skipped, jumped, slithered out. from. I, I jumped a mile high. My recollection is Dad laughed. I don't know if that was actually correct or not, but... But what's interesting to me as I I think about this now as an adult is we didn't have to send an invitation to those critters saying, okay, this Saturday, 7 o'clock in the morning, we're going to be turning that boat over so everybody come on in and and have a little party. We didn't have to do that because the environment that was created by that upside-down boat was invitation enough, and they were already there. We're to put on the breastplate of righteousness. Watch this now. Righteousness is right-side-up living. Righteousness is living a life that is wide open to the Son of God, shining the light of his glory and his favor and his blessing down upon us. It's right-side-up living. Unrighteousness is upside-down behavior. You see, unrighteousness creates that environment that says to the enemy, make yourself at home. Unrighteousness is saying to the enemy, I don't have to send an invitation. Here's the environment. Just, just oh, listen, all you have to do is not live your life uprightly. All you have to do is choose to live an upside down life, not, not in alignment with the word of God. And, and when you make that choice, you've created the environment already there for the enemy to thrive and for the enemy to prosper. So listen, watch this now. To live a righteous life, you need to choose by the power of God to live a life consistently in alignment with the truth, the absolute truth, and nothing but the truth. Let's be brutally honest for a moment. Some of us in this room stand here on, in Sunday, on Sundays and we sing about God and we, we, we declare how much we love God, but then when we walk out of these doors and we step into the week, we live a lifestyle that is, that is incongruent with what we're professing to believe. No wonder the enemy is running amok in our lives. So if you're seeing the fingerprints of the enemy throughout your marriage and your job and your family and your finances and your health, ask yourself, is my boat turned upside down? Am I creating an environment that is inviting the enemy to prosper and to flourish? Do I need to realign my behavior with the truth of God that I claim to believe? Because you see, more than anything, the enemy of your soul wants you to live an upside-down life. He wants you to be without that breastplate of righteousness because he knows that without that breastplate, you're vulnerable. If you're not wearing the breastplate of righteousness, listen, folks, it doesn't matter how strong you are. It doesn't matter how smart you are. It doesn't matter how often you go to church, how often you pick up your Bible, how many verses you memorize, whether you go to life group or not. That does not matter because you're not protecting the most important vital organ of your spiritual being. And the enemy knows that he's got you right where he wants you. Most of you are probably familiar with 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Warns us that Satan is like a roaring lion prowling about, looking for someone to devour. 
Listen, folks, he's looking for born-again believers who are going to church on Sunday, who open their Bibles, who go to life group, who sing the, the, the gospel songs, but there's no breastplate on. So would you listen to my word of warning, please? If the enemy cannot shackle you to a sin, if he can't chain you to an addiction, then here's what he will do. He will burden you with the weight of your own perfectionism. He will convince you, you have to put on the breastplate of righteousness and it's your personal righteousness. You have to pursue after righteousness. And you see, he knows that you can't do it. That when you put on your own personal righteousness, you're not gonna be able to live in the freedom and the power and the abundance that God has provided you and God has planned for you. It's exhausting, it's draining, it's wearing you down. But hey, I've got some more great news for you. You wanna hear some more great news? God's absolute truth, when you put that on and wrap it around like a belt, God's, God's absolute truth will take the weight of that righteousness off of you. You see, that's what the belt does. The belt helped the Roman soldier relieve the weight of the breastplate. And here's the truth. Here's the truth that will set you free. 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to this earth and he took upon himself the form of a servant. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and he became obedient unto death, even death on the cross. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, Jesus sa it, it says that Jesus himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin, watch this, and live to righteousness. It's by his wounds that you've been healed. So here's what I want you to understand. When you accepted his gift of eternal life, when you placed your faith and trust in the finished work of Christ on the cross of Calvary, that act of faith didn't just save you. It didn't just cancel the debt. It didn't withdraw the wages of your sin. It didn't just give you the gift of eternal life. Watch this now. It took his righteousness, his holiness, his purity, his godliness, and deposited it inside of you. But don't take my word for it. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 24, it says that our new self was created after the likeness of God. Watch this, in true righteousness and holiness. You know what that means? That means God's righteousness, God's holiness, God's purity. God's holiness, righteousness, and purity is inside of you. You just need to have it on you. You just need to live it out. You need to, Romans 12, to be transformed, letting that which is on the inside lived out on the outside by the renewing of your minds. So I have a couple of closing questions I want to ask you to think about. First of all, I want you to consider the last two weeks in Phil's messages regarding fear. What are you doing about it? How are you applying it? How are you, how are you living it out? What are you going to do with what you've heard this morning? How are you going to apply the belt of truth to your life? Are you going to walk out of here already girded with the belt of truth, wearing that breastplate of righteousness? What are you going to do the next time the enemy attacks? We don't know when he's going to attack. We don't know how he's going to attack. We don't know what he's going to do in, in the attack. All we know is he is going to attack. It may be 60 seconds from now, 60 minutes from now. I, I don't know when, but I know he's going to attack. Are you prepared for the attack? Are you wearing the armor? Are you girding yourself 
with the truth and the absolute truth and nothing but the truth? And are you wearing his breastplate of righteousness? Because if you are, then the answer to Phil's question the last two weeks is this. You have nothing to fear. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. I want to close with a word of prayer. Phil asked me this morning, how are you going to wrap this up? I said, I'm going to leave it messy. Because I want you to make the decision. I want you to decide. I'm not going to tie it up in a bow for you today. But I do want to tell you this. If you need someone to pray with you, if God has been speaking to your heart about this or, or, or maybe the last couple of weeks, there's something that you need some prayer. We have a prayer team that will be gathered down front. I urge you, I encourage you, come down front. Let them pray with you. Let them pray for you. Let them pray over you. Walk out of here having handed whatever it is that God's been convicting you about back over to him. Father in heaven, thank you so much for our time and our privilege of being in your word this morning. I pray, Father, that you would help us to stay focused on the real issue, eternity. It's not about me. It's not about my family here. It's all about you and your honor and your glory, and that's what Satan's trying to distract us from. So, Lord, I pray that you would help us to stand as victors, stand as the gatekeepers. Thank you for what you're going to do. We give you the praise in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much, ladies and gentlemen. God bless you, and have a fantastic day. Thank you for joining our worship service online today. Our prayer is that the worship and the teaching has left an impression on your heart and that God will use it to inspire you to love God, love people, and penetrate our world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you made a spiritual decision today, or if you need prayer, you can let us know by clicking the link to our online connection card. And then if you haven't yet taken advantage of it, you can download our church app where we have all of our announcements and opportunities, and you can also use it to share this week's message with a friend. And then you can also check out our website, fbclcart.org, to stay connected with us that way as well. God bless, have a great week, and we'll see you here again next week.